Hey Dan Talks listeners, this week we are talking education with my friend from Davidson, Rashad Phillips. He graduated from Davidson College in 2016 and went on to get his master's in education at UPenn. Ever heard of it? And he is so smart. He went to private school, K through master's at UPenn, and has a lot of great perspectives on what education is, what it can be, what it should be, how we get there. I hope that you guys are doing well, even though everything is so bad. <laughs> but um, Rashad is a true joy, and I hope you enjoy hearing his bits of wisdom and perspective, because I certainly did. Okay, stay well and stay educated out there. Okay, Rashad, are you ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> My first question for you is, how do you define education? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. I feel like I'm like on an interview. Oh, I guess it's an interview, <laughs> but I mean like a job interview. And where do you see yourself in five years, please? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not the second one. So... Educate. I, that should be easy for me because I am an educator, but I am struggling with answering that. But um, I would say you said define education. So that's um, a system. Um, so that could be like a school, a university, whatever. But some sort of system that is um, teaching people knowledge and that can be in so many different formats right that can be um you're learning academically which is traditionally from teachers or professors um that can be um and then that can go deeper into like different areas of um study so like history english sociology anthropology science whatever that may be um and then, so that's like what most people think of when they think of education, but then I would like expand on that even more. So like, also like the social aspect of education is really important. So not just like academics, but, um, you know, the cafeteria um, or on a college campus, the dorm or whatever it may be, but that's also like an educational sphere. Um, I think of athletics. Um, I think of both like, right, education can happen on, it can happen at home, which it could happen on a campus, it can happen internationally, um, it could happen digitally, right, like in person, whatever it may be, but it's, it's a learning um, arena. And it doesn't only have to happen at schools, right? Like you can get an education in a church, you can get an education in a club, um, I think education expands in so many different spheres, which is why it's a little challenging for me to give you like a good definition. But it's right places of learning. So when you you have your master's in education from UPenn, yes, or Penn, yes, right? Do people say UPenn or Penn? UPenn and UPenn. Penn, but people get confused and, with like Penn State and Penn. Right, but then they would say Penn State. Right, but some people assume that I, I, maybe, I don't know, but some people say that I went to Penn State. So then I have to say the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. What do you think, and you're a teacher, and you've been a teacher for several years. Yes. What do you, was there any gap that you found from studying education in your master's pro- program versus doing it, like, on the ground in a school? So... I actually went to a really, like, not traditional program, which I'm really grateful for. So um, I was a full-time teacher while also in my master's program. And everything that I learned about in my master's program was catered to what I was doing in the classroom. So I, um, when I was in grad school, I worked at a boarding school and everyone in my program also was a teaching fellow at a boarding school. So, um, you know, all of the literature that I was reading, all of the essays that I was writing, all of the pedagogy that I was learning about directly was like, you know, trial and error 
in my like full time job. So um, I think that all educational programs should be like that um, because everything that I was reading about and writing about, I was actually like implementing into my classroom. So there actually wasn't um, a huge gap. Like I think my program specifically was very much catered to, um, you know, what I did. Um, I would say though that one thing that, you know, programs can do better at is, you know, being a teacher is so much more than just like your work in the classroom. Like, um, I would say that, you know, and I've seen this a lot on Instagram and stuff, but you wear so many hats as a teacher, right? You, you have to teach kids. You're also a parent to these kids. Um, and, and some people don't like that I say that, but it's true. You're also almost expected to be some sort of like psychologist or um, mentor, therapist, whatever you may call it to kids and parents. Um, so there's so many roles um, that are, are a requirement to being a teacher that are so much more than just like pedagogy in a classroom. And so I wish that would, I guess, be the gap is like, also teach me how to implement like that kind of stuff because all of that is just as necessary to being um, a teacher. Um, and on top of that, I would also say um, there needs to be more, even more stuff on right diversity, equity, and inclusion work in grad school. Um, so you know, in my opinion, you're not a good teacher at all if you can't teach, you know, black kids, if you can't teach gay kids, if you can't teach poor kids, if you can't teach um, kids that English is not their first language. And so there needs to be more emphasis on how to effectively do that in your classroom and outside of your classroom, um, because that is what you're faced with as a teacher. And a lot of times, right, grad schools don't focus on that. Did you feel like you had to educate other people in your cohort, in your cohort about that during grad school? Like those Definitely. things that weren't being covered? Well, actually, no. Well, <laughs> let's, um, I'm, I don't even know how to... Like, what were the blind spots that you encountered that you were like, you don't know this? Well, and so, and even... Um, one of my friends, she texted me. She was like, Rashad, you always say this. Um, because I was all, at that point, so right after Davidson, um, I was at the point where I was like, you know, you all are master's students. I should not have to teach you everything about black people or whatever it may be. You can go on Google. And so I would always, like, I would say things like that. And I remember, you know how, like, now with, you know, the modern Black Lives Matter movement and whatever it may be. And you're seeing on Instagram a lot of like, you know, anti-racist education type things. And my friend who was in my grad school program, a white woman, she sent, she was like, Rashad, you used to always say this to me. It was like a post that was like, your black friend should not have to teach you how to do this. Um, because I was always known as the, read a book. It's there for you. Lots of people have written this stuff. Um, and so I would try my hardest not to have to teach people, but yes, there was still an expectation, um, to teach people. And I would say more so, right, I work at a private school. Um, one thing that people always wanted my expertise on was black boys, um, and black girls, but specifically black boys. Um, I would say um, a lot of private schools fail at um, creating learning environments that are safe for black boys. And then oftentimes, you know, you know, they're like, you know, they opt out. They're like, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not interested in this content. Like, why does this matter to me? So oftentimes I was the, well, Rashad, like, what can I do in my classroom? Like, help me. Um, and again, there's a lot of books about black boys in classrooms. So. <laughs> but sometimes because um, 
you know, I have to do half and half. There's times where I, I take the read a book route, and then there's times where I feel like you truly want to learn and improve yourself, and then I will be an educator. But yeah, sometimes it's hard for me um, to always want to educate adults. I'm all about educating children. That's, that's right what I do. But sometimes it's frustrating and difficult to educate adults, especially when there's so much out there to help them in their, their work, their growth. Right. It sounds like you have healthy boundaries around that. Yes. Like, I'm not here to take on your shit. Right. No. Did you get, during, like, this second wave, quote-unquote, of Black Lives Matter, did you get weird questions from your white colleagues, basically? Um, or friends? Well, like, I, I don't know if questions, but I got, like, you know, the phone calls and the text messages, um... You know, that were like, Rashad, I want you to know that you're important to me. Or like, how are you doing? Or I know this must be really tough on you. Or like, just so you know, I'm here if you need anything. Um, Or, you know, I went to the march yesterday, just so you know. Like, I got that type of stuff. Um, And I, I, um, I made sure that I was very careful with my responses with those things because I actually, a lot of my responses were good. Like, that's what you should be doing. Like, continue the movement. It wasn't a thank you or like, I can't, I really appreciate you or whatever. It was, a, you know, you should be doing that because um, <laughs> we're all human. We, should, we all deserve to be treated equally. Um, you know, and if I'm not treated equally, (laughs) that also puts you at risk, um, if we're being real, right? We're all, you know, quote unquote, at risk to a certain, like it just, it doesn't just stop with one group. So, um, yeah, I was, I was very intentional and careful when I did receive those messages to, um, instead of being like, showing, oh my God, I'm so grateful. It was more important for me to encourage them to continue. Like, you know, continue to do the work, continue to educate yourself, continue to reach out and whatever it may be. Um, Because that's the kind of thing where they're reaching out for them. They're actually not reaching out for you. Right, right? because none of this stuff is new. Right, because you've been black the whole time. I've been black the whole time. (laughs) Black people have... Like didn't just start getting black the whole time. Right, they didn't just start getting killed by police officers. Um, Right, one in three black men. Did you get any like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize that it was this bad. Right. Well, uh, you you said that I. That's not for me to. You asked, did I get that? Yeah. Did people say that? Um. No. Well, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think they. I think they knew it was bad, but. This was just another awakening. I think people, including myself, wanted the star on the star chart of, like... I think also white people felt like I want to be on the right side of history and, like, saying nothing is... um, Like, being passive is just as bad as saying something... Like, you have to say something, basically. Right. But it really easily turns into, like, a performative, weird thing... And I think it's very, like, star on the star chart in kindergarten of, like, I did a good thing. Right. And, like, look at how good I'm doing. And I posted this many more gold stars than somebody else. Right. But that's not really activism or progress, right? Right. What is progress in the education system, just looking at that part of society, what does that look like to you? What does progress in an educational system look like? Yeah. Um... I I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but for me, progress means celebrating and valuing people of all different identities. Like, that's, for me, going to be our perfect school. So when I I look back on, you know, my educational experience, you know, from K to 12, because that's what I teach, and... um, you know, walking through the hallways, you see the dead white men. And that's what represents success to you. 
um, in your history classes, you're singing songs about Christopher Columbus and not, excuse me, not your history classes, in your music classes, you're singing songs about his, uh, Christopher Columbus and George Washington and, um, and in the history class, you're, you're learning about all these dead, white, straight men. Um, and so for me, progress, it, it looks like, um, you know, telling the stories of the, the, uh, the unheard or telling the stories of the powerless or um, telling the stories of the people who are different. Um, it looks like not only telling the stories, but, you know, showing people. So one thing, like, specifically with black people and myself as a history teacher, um, it's always been important to me, right, that, you know, black people are more than slavery. Like, we've done so much for this country and for this world. Like, this world would be nothing without black people, period. No debate, no argument, etc. And so it's really important, like, you know, black kids, including myself, we got tired. Even though slavery is really important, we got tired of only seeing ourselves as slaves, excuse me, enslaved people in um, in books and in history classes. Like, you know, talk about, you know, the, the powerful kingdoms in the continent of Africa. Talk about all of the in- inventions and how we built the United States. Um, you know, talk about um, the success of, um, you know, Ethiopia being, uh, um, you know, a country of success um, during the 19th century um, when, you know, Europe attempted to um, imperialize all of the continent of Africa. Not all places were taken over by Europe. So, like, tell those stories, too. Um, That's what progress looks like to me. Um, it looks like, right, um, not only white people, not only straight people, not only, you know, what we see as abled people were um, involved in, you know, the math and sciences. Like, show those voices. Um, dance and music, right? It, it's more than ballet. It's more than... Um, you know, folk music, incorporate some hip hop. That's just as important. Um, incorporate, um, you know, bachata or whatever, like celebrating the differences in, in the beauty of our world. And not only like, you know, only Black History Month or only, um, you know, the Day of Silence or whatever. I mean, this should be happening all day, every day. That's what progress looks like to me. Don't you think one of the big things that blocks that, because that all sounds like exactly what I want to, but I think that there's a lot of white people in education, or just in the country, that are uncomfortable with the idea that whiteness has ever been a problem, or that there's anything like, or that the country has any foundational issues. Like, I think it's like people's discomfort with the idea that maybe the country wasn't just like a beacon of religious freedom and now we have a great economy right like anything outside of that narrative makes them too uncomfortable and like weirdly like attacked or like they're being made responsible for it which like no one's saying that you did something but we all live in this country that has this history that has been like whitewashed right before it's as it's been like fed to the children do you know like how is it is there like I know in Texas they teach Texas history is there like a timeline of how American history has been taught in public schools and like big shifts and how it happened or has it always like has it stayed the same for like decades I'm not sure I'm sorry <laughs> no me neither yeah like, I have no idea um do, do you did you study anything about like how things are taught in I grew up in Maine like how's how are things in Maine different from how things are taught in New York, different from mm. Arizona? Like, did you ever look at national education policy? And, like, I just know Texas has Texas history as a requirement. Right. And I'm like, states can do that? <laughs> I'm trying to think back to grad school because we did have, like, a... Like, how school started... Um, 
yeah, I can't give you. I I can't even. But I, it, it's like it's like right there. But yeah, I, I don't. Because the goal of school is like to have a literate population so that we can be more productive and more just. Right. 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 Yep. Why do Republicans not like that? <laughs> I don't think I don't think all Republicans feel that way. But I just like I've never seen a Republican advocate for more money for public schools. Right. Why not? Not that I expected that. <laughs> um, have you worked in public and private schools? I haven't, and I've never attended a public school. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I'm private school K through twelve. Davidson's private. Was it uniform K through twelve? Um. Yes. Wow. But not like. Dave- well, excuse me. Dress code. Uniform in elementary school, dress code in middle school and high school. Wow. Because Davidson was my first private school ever, and I couldn't believe my roommate Josh how many dress shirts that he had. And he would, like, wear them on Tuesday. And I'm like, what are you doing? Because I went to public school. Right. No, so that was, like, fresh air when I could wear whatever I wanted to. Are you really appreciative that you went to private school your whole life, or is there part of you that wish you had a public school experience? No, I really appreciate that I went to private school. I think it's made me... Um, what, is the, what is the animal... A, 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 what's the animal yeah, that changed? Yeah, chameleon can like change. What is it? Yeah, chameleon. Yeah, chameleon. Is that how do you say it? Yeah. Yeah, so being at private school has made me a chameleon. Um, and I would say... So, for example, I lived in a predominantly black neighborhood in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then I attended a predominantly white school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Um, and so I would say that I can thrive in any space, any, and even like my family tells me that I could, you know, I lived in New Hampshire where there's like no black people and I was able to be very successful there. I was able to be successful in New York. Um, I was able to go to the South. Um, for college um, so I feel like that experience um, you know gave me like I'm not afraid of white people I'm not afraid of sitting in those like board meetings and whatever it may be because that's what I've been around my entire life and then I'm also not one of those you know I'm also very comfortable around black people because that's what I grew up around and that's um, my parents were really intentional with um, all of my extracurriculars were like in predominantly black spaces, but then schooling and sports, like connected to schooling, um, were in predominantly white spaces. Um, and so that's always felt natural to you. That's just your MO, like, like depending on the space you're in, you can adapt to any space. Yes. <laughs> so that makes you like really powerful. Hopefully, it, hopefully it should. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it puts me at a really good position because not everyone has that. But then it's also interesting, like, um, you asked me about public schools and I know nothing. Like, I know nothing about public schools. Like, even my grad school program was specifically tailored to... um, I'm not going to... Excuse me. I'm not going to say I know nothing about public schools. But my area of expertise is definitely private schools. Um, So even when, you know... I'm working at these schools, I'm in meetings and stuff. I always emphasize to people, I have gone to private schools since kindergarten. I know how the game works. Mm-hmm. And I know firsthand what it's like to be one of these black boys in these predominantly white schools. I know what, um, you know, I know how it's acceptable um, that teachers are not trained to um, deal with kids of difference and whatever it may be, that's okay. Like, if they're not, you know, white kids or whatever it may be. Um, like, I know the culture and the norms and, and the inequalities and stuff of these schools. Um, I, I, I've, I've been on both sides, both as a student of since 5 to 18, and then as an educator. Like, I, I, I know these schools pretty well. Did you ever have issues with being called too white or too like speaking in two different ways mm-hmm. or like 
your environment at home versus school and like any sort of dichotomy about that or did everything feel pretty like one pot yeah um i would say that i was often too black at my private school um and what does that mean yeah so i feel like um i was known as like one of the social justice kids for example so um you know i wasn't one of those black kids that when a white person said the n-word i was like oh they're cool or whatever like that would be like no we're not doing that um (laughs) and if you have a problem let's 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 talk about it um or you know the way i dressed i wasn't buying the um lacoste and like the all of that preppy stuff i was like i like um i (laughs) i call my like my like style of dress like urban prep because it was like a mixture of like my two worlds. Um, like I saw things that I liked in my neighborhood and I saw things I liked in my school and I combined them. Um, and then I remember when a lot of times when I was in my black settings, all black settings. So one thing that I can think of specifically was like on my basketball team, it was always like, well, Rashad knows everything, like ask him. And that was because I went to the rich prep school. Or, like, it was like I was a goody two-shoe. Or they knew, like, I wasn't going to do, like, certain things because they were like, he's the private school boy. Um, So, yeah, those, you know, I had that story that everyone has. Like, you know, too black for the white spaces, too white for the black spaces. Um, and I will say both at my high school and my and then at Davidson um, it was really powerful to find so many people like me that had those experiences so um, you know we had the black table in high school and then at Davidson you know with Stride um, which is a um, program for students of color, pre-orientation and then extends into the year for students of color at Davidson. Like, I found so many people that had that shared experience of going to predominantly white schools and then just wanting to have an experience of being around people like yourself. Um, Yeah. Did you... So do you think that school choice is such a weird topic to me? Or it's just a foreign topic to me. Do you think... Are you, like, an advocate for school choice? Or is that just another, like, tool of weird white supremacy? (laughs) Um, I mean, there's still a lot of inequality within this. I don't have that much to say about that topic, but um, what I've read on it and such, there's still lots of loopholes. There's still a lot of inequalities. There's still, like, certain groups of people always get the better... Um, schools, so um, it's definitely not doing what it claims to do. I would mm-hmm. argue. Wheeling back, I wonder. I wonder what your answer to this question is. Did you find the white people at Davidson any different than the white people at your prep school in Pittsburgh? Yes, very different. What um, was the difference? Because Davidson, they're from around the country. They were nicer at Davidson. (laughs) Uh (laughs) What does that, and what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, well, I, even though you said they're from around the country, I would say, um, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, Because at Davidson, I would say, on one hand, you have that, like, Southern hospitality which is where I get the niceness from. Um, And what I always say about the South, when people say, like, you know, know, as a history teacher, I always counter, like, that stereotype that the South is so much more racist than the North. There's sometimes where I can appreciate when... There's something scarier about someone that's racist and they're, like, secretive about it. And one thing I can appreciate about 
appreciate is not the right word, but one way that I can, like, when someone's, like, openly racist, then you know who they are. But, you know, when people are hiding around corners and they're acting like they're your best friend and they're actually, like, you know, racist, that's really scary. Um, So at Davidson, it was a mixture of, like, the the hospitality, southern hospitality, and the, like, I was, was, I knew who, I, like, I knew, the, I saw the racism very clearly. Um, and so, tell me if this doesn't make sense, but then at my high school, they were just mean. <laughs> like, a lot of white people were mean. Um, and ra- it's a different, it was a different type of racism. And I don't know how to explain it, but um, I just remember going to Davidson and I was like, people are nicer than they were in high school. Like, um, for example, and, so, and right, you, you probably heard about these, like, you know, black app pages that are popping up on Instagram. So, like, have you... What, what pages? So, like, um, schools and I guess specifically private schools all around the country are making, like, black app and then the name of the school Instagram pages where they're sharing. So, right, it's, like, about, like, amplifying... I have heard about that. Davidson has one. Yeah, yeah. So, amplifying, like, black or people of color. There's also, like... um, So, one of the... The school I worked at before, my current one, um, there's also, like, a queer app page. So, like, all different marginalized groups are creating these pages now. Um, and you're, they're often sharing stories of experiences that they've had. Um, and so one of the experiences that I saw in my alma mater was um, this white kid went up on stage after this video that we watched, and he basically said, like, black people have nothing to be proud of, and then kept on talking. And so, like, things like that, that was a normal occurrence. Like, there are so many stories that myself and my um, friends of color from my alma mater have about our institution. At your high school? At my high school. Um, And I would say that was a little bit different at Davidson. Although, I would say the majority of my friends at Davidson were people of color. Um, Most of my white friends were from my dorm. And those are just, I love them. They were just different types. So I don't, it could have been different if I was like immersed in like white fraternities and sororities and um, whatever it may be. So what I thought my education at Davidson, it was the, coming from Maine, it was a lot more diverse. It was like the most diverse place I'd ever lived, which is like kind of funny. But I remember not even realizing. I know we had the two black fraternities and black sororities mm-hmm. and you're an alpha, right? Yeah. Um, I won't say the name of that one. But I remember thinking there were black fraternities and then fraternities. And, but then I remember we went to the Fiji headquarters in Lexington, Kentucky, and you saw on the walls all the different chapters and it was like, like Auburn University, whatever. I, I remember Auburn in particular and it was all... And it was just like year after year after year, and it was like, like literally two hundred white guys, like as the years went on. And that's when I realized, like, oh, I'm in a historically white fraternity, yeah, which I never even put together. And I would always, I fraternity. would always correct people on that. I would say, right, my fraternity, like the Divine Nine, is historically black fraternities, and then I would call, you know, Fiji, FAE, etc historically white fraternities because that's what they were. Um, Which is, like, accurate. And, right, historically, right, there was a time when black people were not allowed to join, and it was the same, (laughs) right? Like, so that's why we, I mean, it's more complicated than that, but that's one of the reasons why we had to create our own. I mean, it's way more complicated. There's more to that, but, you know, it might have been different if you know, the historically white fraternities were more inclusive, for sure. Right. 
Did you feel any pressure to join or not join a white fraternity or join or not join one of the historically black fraternities? Like, I was, was it expected that you would join one or expected that you wouldn't join the other? No. Um, but I would never... <laughs> I would never join a historically white fraternity. Right. Um, and why not? Because of the historical stuff. Um, Especially when thinking of, like, pledging and secrets and um, all of that kind of stuff. For me and my understanding, because of when those organizations were founded, I feel like there's a lot of... There definitely is a lot of connection with slavery and, and, and lynching and um, abused against my own people so that to me would be a slap in the face Not, and I'm not going to speak for other people but to me and, and myself that would be a slap in the face to my ancestors so um, yeah I would never join a white fraternity because <laughs> what does being an alpha mean to you because you're an alpha for life right yes so what does that mean to you um it means a lot to me. <laughs> um, I would say um, Alpha encourages me to um, fight every day to make the world a better place. Um, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated is very much um, grounded in community service and social justice, right? Like people like Martin Luther King were, um, wasn't Alpha. Um, and so greats like that really encourage me um, to do my work as a um, educator um, to make and write um, people always ask me why are you teaching at private schools and not public schools and why are you teaching at predominantly white institutions and all that like I have a, a huge influence in you know influencing the minds of a lot of kids that are more than likely going to be in these positions of power. And I would say um, Alpha has encouraged me, has, has promoted me to, um, right, there's so many Alphas that are educators that have um, been mentors and an influence on me to um, make this positive difference in the world. Um, like I like told you before, right, my mission is to be a part of creating equitable and inclusive and diverse private schools. That's my mission. Um, and, you know, Alpha stands on that, like, being inclusive, um, being equitable. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's, like, yeah, my biggest thing. What advantage do private schools offer that public schools don't? Networking, names, um, I would say, yeah, that name is why you spend $50,000 a year, um, because that's going to get you, oh, you went to this school, you went to that school, that's going to get you into the, the Davidson's, the Harvard's, the Penn's, um, whatever it may be. Um, although I think, um, you know, private school, many private school education experiences are amazing. Um, so are many public school and charter school. So I would say the biggest thing is the name. And right, that stands on, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier, like white supremacy, inequality, etc. cetera. Um, but that's, that's the big thing about private schools is they have these, these elite ancient histories that, and they have these special connections with these colleges and universities. Do you think you could see your mission scaling up to a level where it will start to include public schools insofar as it'll eliminate the need to go to a named school to have a fair shot in society, basically? Can you ask that one more time? What's Can that? you ask your question again? Yes. Do you think, right now your mission is in private schools, mm. and I feel like to create a more equitable society, it's inevitable that we have to make public school as equal as possible. 
which feels like a steep mountain to climb, like steeper than private schools. And can you envision a time where it doesn't matter what name of high school or college you went to, that you still have a as fair shot in life as somebody who did go to a private school? Because isn't that the goal? Like, everyone gets, like, you get your tray of lunch that's, like, your K-12 through education, and then, like, whoever's the smartest and works harder, like, gets more money. That would be amazing. I can't, right? I can't envision it, though. And why can't you? Because that's, like, what our country is built on. It's, like, right, the land of opportunity. That statement alone is, like, filled with inequality. Because that means that, like, some people are getting the opportunities and some are not. So, um, yeah, that would be hard. And then, like, not that I agree with this, but then I wonder, like, and maybe this is, like, me, like, <laughs> like filling into it, but then I wonder, like, if everyone... Like, I wonder if that would take the motivation out of things. If everything was just the same. Like, all schools were the same. All school, like, you know, like, for me, I, I was working hard because I knew I wanted to go to a top school, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to be above. Like, I wanted to be that number one spot. Right. And then if, like, all colleges were the same, then I would be like, or like they just provided the same thing, then it would be like, well, what, like, what do I need to go to college for? Like, for me personally, I, want, I think, I feel like that's how I would think. So it would take a lot of undoing. Um, and again, right, like I said, I still like being equitable and inclusive is what I'm fighting for. I just struggle, and maybe that's something I need to work on myself, but I struggle envisioning that right now. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't... That should be the goal, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess to give more clarification with the... Like, what I said, my, like, mission or goal or whatever. Um, you know, it's important... Like, I... My parents made the decision to send me to a private school because they wanted me to have these better opportunities. Um, where we lived, there, it wasn't the best public school um it didn't have all the resources that my private school had um and so I just lost my train of thought shoot I don't know where I was well you're trying to say that you like your parents made the best choice for you to give you the best chances and that everybody should be given the best chances yep I'm there and so um Going back to my mission, right? Um, like, or even why, like, and what? Why am I in education, private school education, whatever? Like, I want, you know, kids of marginalized groups that that are that have to go to these schools, these elite schools, to have better experiences. So that's why, like, my focus specifically is on private school. Like, that's what my education has been, and. There's a lot of kids like me that are, um, you know, being treated differently because of their identity. And I want to um, be a part of creating spaces where they're celebrated instead of, like, treated worse or differently or whatever it may be because of their identity. Um, so though public school is very important to me, that's not my area of expertise. Because I know, like I told you before, I never went to a public. I never went to any. I've never, I've never, and I, yeah, I've never had any type of private public school education. Yeah, you've made that very clear, Rochelle. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, and, and no, and you asked me this earlier. There were times where I was like, both with like David. It was a little and, more fun at some points. Hmm. It was a little more fun at some points, I can guarantee you. Right, like, I wonder what it would be like. And especially when you watch, like, these, like, TV shows and stuff. Well, have you ever been to, like, uh, like a, a bus station? Yeah, like a Greyhound? Yeah. Or, like, but a... But imagine it's, like, all 16-year-olds learning social studies. 
kind of like that. <laughs> it's very grab bag. It's very like, come one, come all, because like that's the deal. Right. Before we wrap up, COVID is going to exacerbate like all this, all the inequality that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. And it already is. Um, can you talk about learning? It's not called learning loss, is it? Like when people, when kids don't go to school, or like over the summers when kids who read books or like have parents that encourage reading or whatever are able to like get ahead and the kids who don't read like get further behind can you sort of talk about that phenomenon and what it looks like right now especially yeah um (laughs) it's bad yeah it's 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 really concerning It, it really is do you think it's just gonna be like a lost it's not even a lost year. It's going to be like a developmental problem, like a generational problem, right? Well, I would say that only... Um, I'm at a loss for words because the word encouraging is not the right word. The only... And what I've told people is like... The whole world is going through this. So that's one way to look at it. Like everyone is losing a year. Um, I don't know if that's, that doesn't, that's not a good thing, but it's like, a, it puts it in perspective, like, everyone of these, everyone in, in the United States um, is losing this year, but what I will say is, right, it's a mess. So, like, I work at um, a school that, fortunately, every kid gets a laptop, and every, or an, the younger kids get an iPad. But it's definitely not like that at, um, you know, other schools. Even even it's not like that at all private schools. Um, and even with the privilege that I had, it was still challenging. Um, it was still really hard for kids to focus. Um, it was still like so much training and such for teachers. Um, it's still like... You cannot, even though I will say I was surprised that some of the successes that I did have virtually, it's still not the same thing as like face-to-face interactions. I will never, you cannot replace that with a virtual until maybe they have like the like, I'm like a 3D teacher like in the space of their home. But um, yeah, it, it so it definitely is going to be, um, like you said, a learning loss. And I hope that this will... So remember like how I said, and I'll talk specifically about... I think schools will have to really like reevaluate what's actually important. So like a lot of times we're learning all this stuff because that's what we've been learning for the past hundreds of years. And then like... I right, you don't remember half of the stuff that you've learned in, in fifth grade or eighth grade or twelfth grade. Um, but then there's some stuff that will always stick with you. So like how can we like as educational institutions like weed out like what students need to know and then what's the like mumbo jumbo stuff that we're just doing because you know the state's telling us that we have to do it or like that's what we've been doing for 50 years. Like, what are those tools that students have to know to move on to the next grade or whatever it may be? I think schools really need to prioritize, you know, during this pandemic. This is a unique time where kids are home with their parents for, or hopefully, parents are parental figures for really long, sustained periods of time. What is it that you hope these parental figures are doing with their children or teaching their children? So that question's a little more challenging for me, I would say, because I work with high schoolers. So they're actually not, their parents are not that much involved at that age. and it's very different for like elementary school or, or whatever. Um, Cause I imagine you see the kids at or the students at school, mm-hmm. 
and you're like, I wish your parents were doing X, or I wish your parents told X to you. <laughs> Give me one second, let me think. One thing that you're like, your mom didn't tell you this, and now she has a lot of time to tell Well, there, okay, there's two ways I can answer this. I'll start with, um, this might come out as shady, but um, I feel like- Perfect. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like you love that. But I think this can be, um, during this time, parents can really be focusing on those skills of like, how can I make my child a better citizen of the country, the world, etc. Um, like, how can I teach my child manners? How can I teach my child how to say thank you? Um, how can I teach my child to, um, like, learn that it's more than just about me as the individual? Like, you know, to be a part of a team, to be a part of a family. So I'm really hoping that a lot of times, you know, I've noticed that um, being on the other end of it as a teacher, I've noticed that has been missing. Um, a lot of times students are like, you know, I expect you to do this. You're my teacher. Or like, um, why haven't you graded this immediately? So I'm hoping that this will be a time where like, Everyone is just becoming more human, you know, humanized, and, and whatever it may be. Um, I also hope that parents are teaching, like, and this is really important for college and, and stuff, like skills around, like, organization, not waiting till the last minute, like, planning a schedule. Um, because right when you don't have like schools from nine or from like eight to three and it's just like you're at home all the time and you don't know what day is what and all that kind of stuff like this is the perfect time to really work on like organizing and planning um, and I think parents can be really helpful with when dealing with that at, at the home in these times during these unprecedented times yes Yes. Well, Rashad, I am comforted by the fact that you are teaching these children. I personally believe that children are the future. Yes, they are. Whitney Houston. 